0: Singing can't you tell that they're pretty lame After listening to a couple albums They all start to sound the same So he tried to change his music style He tossed all the ballads in the circular file Then he found the pump sounds breaking ground All around little Billy Joe, beat What's the matter with the tune he's writing? Well, you know it's gonna be a smash Nice one, big name. it sounds like trash <laughs> not it? Even a piece of junk, still Joel,
1: When it came time to Glass Houses, that was around 1980, and we were playing, we had now had about two, three years of playing in Arenas and coliseums, and I recognized that I needed to write bigger music, songs like "Just the Way You Are," uh, "Honesty," um, ballads. They don't always fly that well in in, in an arena. You need big sound, so I started writing uh, harder edge songs, more guitar based songs. Uh, Sometimes it was fun to do. This was probably the most fun. Album that I ever made. It just it, it happened fairly quickly. Uh, the band loved playing it. Uh, audiences loved this, the material that was on the, the, the recording, and we were on a roll. Instead of just instead of just playing an acoustic piano, I was playing all different kinds of electric pianos to kind of get it at a harder edge. Around 1980, there was the Yamaha CP80, and it just had a, a good punch to it, just really good bang, you know, not not a piano. And uh, you could throw it really good too. I threw it off the stage a few times. <clears throat> it made an impression.
0: Oh no 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 no! Don't you dare! Over my dead body will you inexplicably shoehorn in another Billy
2: Joel song just to punctuate one of your weekly lessons that inevitably veers off into a saccharine barrage
0: of angst and affirmation. Friday night I crashed your party. Saturday I said. I-
3: your name is Danny? Yeah, Danny Phipps. Okay, Danny from uh Danny Phipps from Uh Glass Houses, which is a, a Billy Joel tribute band. America's best love Billy Joel tribute band. Okay. So okay. you uh So what do we do with Yeah, songs? yeah, like what kind of stuff do uh, glass houses do? Well we do all you know, all all eras. Um you know, a lot of the early stuff. She's got away uh piano man, uh some kind of early obscure stuff, which a lot of people aren't that in, or don't know about, like uh, why Judy Why. We also do uh, Stranger Era classics, Just the Way You Are, Always a Woman. Uh, we do a lot of the street punk stuff, uh, like Only the Good Die Young. <laughs> a lot of the what? Uh, uh, street punk. I, I don't know what what is street punk. Well, you know, like his his edgy punk stuff. Uh huh. Well, he- I never really. <laughs> He,
2: he has any, he has punk stuff
3: well yeah you may be right big shot
4: well it's not exactly punk
3: i I think it is i mean it's it's, it's as punk as as anything else out there
4: Not not really
3: sure it, I, it's it's attitude it, I, it's pure attitude so so he has street punk music well yeah I mean most of the stuff on on the album that our band is named after glass houses you uh-huh. know sleeping with the television on that's that's That's, uh, dare I say, balls to the wall.
4: All right. Well, welcome everybody to episode three of the Cultural Futures Exchange. This episode is titled "Billy Joel Glass Houses," as you might have guessed from the intro clips. I'm Jeff. That's Slip. Yeah. Hello. All right, um, dude. You heard? Yeah.
2: I own that fucking Linda Ronstadt album, dude. I actually really dig it, but it it's, is her glass good. houses. It's her fucking glass <laughs> houses. It's her mad love. It's her trying to be. Uh, Linda Punkstat, you know.
4: I think you said uh, CBGB Linda. Which yeah, I CBGB think is Linda's yeah. album. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I
2: also own the uh, Alice Cooper. So, you know, it's Weird Al was... Uh, it, uh, that Weird Al song is the kind of most savage thing he ever did. You know, he's such a benign presence. You know, he's such a family-friendly guy and he's brilliant and his parodies are hilarious. But that one is just the most savage but accurate uh, it kind of sums up everything I'm going to say about Glass Houses <laughs> in a way that I never could. Um, and he even sounds like Billy Joel on the, on, on the song. And and he called, name name checks uh, Linda Ronstadt for Mad Love and also Alice Cooper for um, kind of the stuff of uh, many albums, but mainly Flush the Fashion at the time, an album I also own. So yes. I, guess, I guess I like this stuff. I actually don't have Glass Houses, but I've listened to it many times, so... Uh, Excellent. I guess I'm a, maybe I'm a, a closet fan of some of this stuff.
4: Well, you know, the thing about the Linda Ronstadt album and if listeners if you haven't seen it, easy to find a picture of the album cover, the only thing missing honestly from it is a safety pin through her nose. Yeah. You know, which I think was a missed opportunity for Linda, but you know, we can get into that. Uh, so at any rate, uh, those of you who are new may not know the uh, conceit of our show here, which is where we examine different pieces of cultural ephemera, examine the time frame in which they came out, how they were received, the history of it a little bit. What has happened since then? How the impact and value of that piece of uh, art or cultural uh, uh, you know, artifact, as we like to think about it measures out, and then, most importantly, how we think it's going to rate in the future, you know, 10, 20, 30 years going forward, and whether you should invest in it. You should sell it or be relatively neutral by going long, short, or, well, do nothing, I guess. So that is sort of the idea here. And let's set the stage a little bit for this album and the time that this album came out. So it came out in, like, March of 1980. And 1979, the you know, the year uh, prior, was sort of an interesting sort of time, right? Uh, the, a lot of punk, new wave stuff was pretty big. A lot of uh, albums that you may have heard of uh, came out in 1979. Uh, if you are like The Clash, uh, London Calling, Police, Regatta de Blanc, Pink Floyd, The Wall, ACDC, Highway to Health, Ramones, It's Live, Cheap Trek had two, uh, Dream Police and, and Budokan, both amazing. Elvis Costello had Armed Forces, Tom Petty, Damned to p- Torpedoes, Cars, Candio, J- Jackson, looked Sharp, Talking Heads, Fear of Music, Dire Straits, Communique, second album, amazing. Um, Warren Zevon, Excitable Boy, was 1978, but uh, Bad Luck Streak in Dancing School was the year after, around that time. And then uh, Graham Parker, Squeezing Out, Sparks. And this list, it's not exhaustive. There's plenty of other great things that came out in 1979. But it was sort of remarkable to me when I was looking at this, those are not just a bunch of, you know, decent albums that just happened to come out in that year. These are all-time great albums, most of them, right? And so this is a pretty amazing time for music. There's not many years where you say, wow, look at that kind of murderer's row of great things uh, that came out. And, you know, Billy Joel's, uh, if nothing else, is, you know, a uh, attuned to what is going on around him and attuned to what other people are doing. And I don't know, I think it must have had a pretty big impact, but, you know, Slip, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Definitely. Um, I think uh, the fact that this stuff was also critically acclaimed definitely spoke to Billy Joel. Right. Um, this, this album, Glass Houses, is so much about the press, um, so much about the um, general consensus among critics about what he was doing, right? And it was a response to... Uh, this climate, right? It was, it was like all the, wait, these guys, uh, the critics like Elvis Costello. Well, Hey, let me, let me show them what I can do. You know, I think, I think that's, uh, the context this was in, you know, it was, it, it was, uh, the zeitgeist of the time definitely, you know, was overwhelming. And I think, uh, you know, Billy Joel, as we showed in the intro, wasn't the only artist who was influenced by this.
4: Yeah, no, it, The times were changing, as somebody said before. Right. Uh, So, so tell us a little bit, let's talk about the personal history here. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you first were aware of Billy Joel and then Glass Houses, and why don't we get into that a little bit here?
2: Yeah, I mean, the personal history is a little different than the others, because I'm not a super big Billy Joel fan. I mean, there are songs that I like, you know, that I just think are good songs, but... Unlike Nirvana or Kiss, I don't have that deep of a history. Actually, it's probably more similar to Kiss because I was probably more into Billy Joel later, if I was into him at all. Um, whereas Nirvana, I was into it very early on, and I have this deep history with it. Uh, you know, I've never seen Billy Joel live, for instance. Uh, the first time I heard Billy Joel was probably not, uh, you know, his first big hit, which was Piano Man, which was actually a minor hit at the time. Kind of became more of a uh, a staple later. Um, his first big hit was the first one I heard, and it's one of my favorites to this day, which is just the way you are. Great. Sound. And, um, yeah. it's funny cause you know, I was listening to, uh, the hit parade podcast, you know, about Billy Joel last night, you know, kind of in preparation for this. And when I was listening to it, my wife was like, uh, you know, obviously the, the, the show is about how Billy Joel, uh, you know definitely copies the styles of certain different genres in pop popular music um a, a thing that we'll talk a lot about today um and just the way you are i thought you know this is pretty original song it's a mellow 70s song it's got this great electric piano i'm a i'm a sucker for Rhodes uh you know Fender Rhodes piano and it's got that great piano it's got this kind of airy backdrop that's like 10cc I'm not in love, which is one of my all time, I love 70s soft rock. And that's one of my all time favorite songs, that Another atmospheric great song, song
4: for sure. And, yeah. and
2: just the way you are has that same thing going for it. You know, Phil Ramone produced, this is the first time he started working with Phil Ramone, who we also worked with on glass houses. And, you know, it's a, it's a great song. It's super catchy, but my wife's like, you know, this is really a lot like, um, sunshine, you know, uh, sunshine of your life. What is it all that, that Stevie wonder? You are the sunshine of my yeah, life.
4: Yeah, you are the sunshine. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's really a lot, I like that. And when I was listening to it, I was like, yeah, this is kind of Stevie Wonder-esque. You know, it's a, it's like one of his ballads. It's not that close. Um, you know, it's not nearly as close as he gets to other artists, but that's another one where, you know, it sounds like a song of the times, just the production and everything. That was the first song that really hit me. I remember listening to it on the radio as a kid. Um, and then, of course, you know, one of my favorite shows growing up, uh, I was talking about my wife with this too, Uh, you know, about this too, uh, is Bosom Buddies. You know, I love Bosom Buddies. Me too.
4: Great show. I love that show. Right. It was a hilarious show. Justin Peter Scolari.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And uh, the theme song was My Life. It was done by another, uh, it was a cover version. It wasn't done by Billy Joel. Um, But I remember hearing that and liking it too. Um, And then of course, you know, the first album that kind of I even thought about was the nylon curtain, um, because it was a little more, uh, critically acclaimed and I kind of liked pressure. I liked the video. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the deep cuts on that album are great. You know, I love the John Lennon, Uh, song. I mean, he really rips off John Lennon big time on that record. There's a song called Laura that's got this angry Lennon-esque chorus, uh, and he does the double-track vocals on there, kind of like starting over um, from Double Fantasy. But I think Laura's is good or better than anything on Double Fantasy. That's not saying much. That's not really John Lennon at his peak. Um, But I remember even thinking about buying that record, right? So I didn't really... But I wasn't really a fan, and I hated all the uh, Innocent Man stuff. We'll get into that later a little bit. Um, But... I think uh, the first album I got from him that I actually owned was a, was a beat-up copy of The Stranger. I got it at a flea, you know, flea market or a thrift shop, I don't remember what, um, and uh, I think this is actually probably his best record overall, um, other than some other stuff I'll go into uh, that I got later. But, but I, I had it for a while, but it was just a crappy copy and, and it didn't play very well, even though I think you know it's a pretty good record, There's most of the songs are memorable. There's not too many clunkers on it. And, uh, you know, someday I might get it again if it's cheaper. Um, My next encounter from Billy Joel came a lot later because I have this friend, Aaron, who's like a music expert. He introduced me to a lot of stuff I'd never heard, a lot of obscure early 70s and 60s rock, you know, a lot of German kraut rock and stuff that I really like. But funnily enough, not, when he first...
4: Autobahn was it Audubon? Uh, no, I mean, I <laughs> okay. had already
2: heard Audubon, but I mean, it was more obscure <laughs> bands like, uh, you know, the Cosmic Jokers and, and uh, you know, Noi and shit like that, you know, just Got really it. kind of not the first... I had already listened to Can and that stuff, and he'd introduced me to Faust as well, which is another band uh, of that era. You know, just really obscure kind of cool stuff. He just has, a, he has an insane record collection to this day as a YouTube channel where he talks about music and... He knows a lot about it. But the first time he got into music as a little kid, Billy Joel was what he got into. And he still kind of has an affection for him to this day. And he introduced me some early shit. You know, when Billy Joel started out, he was in bands from the time he was like 15 on. um, You know, after seeing Ed Sullivan, uh, the Beatles Ed Sullivan show. And he was in the first band he was in uh, was this uh, band called The Hassles. Uh, Which was kind of a a, a Young Rascals kind of esque mixture of soul and 60s garage music. And they got really experimental in their second album. So I only own two Billy Joel albums today. One of them is this one, Hour of the Wolf. So why don't you play that clip just to hear how crazy
1: this is?
2: Okay, yeah. So that's that's Hour of the Wolf. It's like a 12-minute long opus from the second album by The Hassles. And as you can tell, it barely you can hear some of the vocal affectations that would show up in songs like Piano Man and Captain Jack, but it's very different from you know what came later. And it's a pretty cool record. I mean, it's not great. It's spotty and it's you know, it's derivative of other bands, like especially traffic. There's a lot of traffic in there. But it's a little harder edge than that stuff, and it's a little more um, psychedelic and experimental, so I kind of admired that, and I own it. I found a copy, and it's not something I put on all the time. Uh, After The Hassles broke up, uh, the drummer of The Hassles and Billy Joel, John Small and Billy Joel, teamed up to form a duo. And this album uh before you play it let's go into a little bit of this because um i'll probably talk a little bit more about this in the history but this album is this heavy rock album that's just organ and drums and i to this day think it's still the most original thing billy joel has ever done it's derivative of a lot of heavy rock you know there's definitely some zeppelin in there there's prog you know there's emerson lake and palmer it's almost like emerson and palmer there's no lake (laughs) there's no (laughs) bass and that's part of the problem with the record it's super tinny so put on that clip of Wonder Woman this is the opening track uh, from Attila just to hear how crazy this shit is Yeah, it it it's it's crazy and it's super tinny. I you know I worked out this morning and I wanted to put on some Billy Joel and this was the only fucking thing that was going to motivate me to lift weights. This record, so I like fucking crank this shit. And it it's it's at turns really cool. You know it's heavy. Uh, his singing is off the charts. He he's you know really can deliver. And the organ is is this distorted organ. So he puts he put the organ through. Not only distortion pedals, but wah-wah pedals, which you could hear from that. And it's but it's so tinny, there's almost no bass. He he's doing that Rayman Zarek thing where he plays kind of a bass part on the keyboard, but right. you can barely hear the bass. I mean, it's it's like fucking Injustice for All. <laughs> you know, there's no bass. <laughs> you know, it's a uh, Metallica's Injustice for All is famously, you know, you can't really hear fucking uh uh, Jason Neustadt at all on that shit, and there is no bass player here, and they really need it. And then the drums, John Small, you know, he's a serviceable drummer, you know, definitely better than Peter Chris, but he's Again, no John Bonham, right? So it's it, and there's a lot of cymbal crashes in tinny organ, and it's just obnoxious. This fucking record, but it's I love it, you know, I I fucking think it's really cool. And to boot, it has one of the greatest album covers ever made. No um, doubt the. Uh, I forget who who the guy was who kind of was managing them at the time who convinced them to dress up in this garb they have this kind of barbarian slash you Lothar know uh, of the hill people sort right of but kind of combination renaissance barbarian outfits and Billy Joel has this long curly hair he looks like Charles II and they're standing in this meat locker with these big hunks of meat hanging behind them and it just says Attila in big red letters I mean it's it's one of my greatest uh, possessions, this record. It's not something I put on very often because, again, it's pretty obnoxious to listen to. But listening to it today, I really dug it. And, you know, I got to say, people out there probably know that Billy Joel, the last pop album he he did was in 1993. And he hasn't really done much since he did one song called, like I think it's called It's My Life or All My Life or something in the 2000s. Uh, but that's about it. And he's mostly just been touring and he's been doing this residency at Madison Square Garden where he, he's been playing once a month and that got cut off by COVID. But he had a record, you know, they even uh, I think once he did 12 shows in a row, there was a record and they they retired that jersey number like for an athlete in Madison Square Garden. Billy Joel, if you're ever going to listen to this, I just beg you, please. This is the last chance. John Small is still alive. Please reform Attila. Let's get Attila back to fucking gather, man. Let's, you know, these people at Madison Square Garden, you know, at the end of every show, he'll do this thing where he calls out, you know, what song do you want me to play? And it's always, always this obs- kind of semi-obscure album track from The Stranger called Vienna. It's a song he wrote about his father. And it's, you know, it's a pretty good piano ballad. And it's one of these, oh, the real fans, you know, the real fans love it. Well, I want Billy Joel to fucking put on that fucking uh, Charles II wig Uh, because I do think it was a wig Um, I want him to put and he definitely needs it now you know get that wig on get John Small on drums get your Hammond dust off the Hammond organ crank up the distortion and to you know in homage to one of the tracks on the album called Amplifier Fire fucking let's see turn up that Amplifier Fire turn up the organ the wah-wah and let's see who the real fans are in that fucking audience. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like you want to talk about deep cuts let's get attila back so billy Joel if you're listening to this let's get attila back let's get that that you know because to me you know Houses is all about billy Joel you know getting this rock cr- credibility right he wanted to rock he wanted to not be behind the piano and be a balladeer and and he started to do a little bit on that fi- on 52nd street we'll talk more about that later with big shot you know but i would say this is the rockiness billy Joel album attila so Uh, that's just my little, uh, tangent there on Attila. Uh, so that's my personal history. That's pretty much it for me. Uh, you know, I've listened to a lot of Billy Joel over the past week, but it's been more Billy Joel than I've listened to it than in, you know, 52 years of my life. So that's about my own, my history, but that's it for me. So why don't you, uh, take it away?
4: Well, it sounds like you need to go over to change.org and put a petition together. I do.
2: I do, man.
4: I, I, right. want, I want the Attila revival. All right. So this is actually the first album that I ever bought. It, it was up there with, like I think I bought uh, Tattoo You, Rolling Stones, when that came out. I think I actually bought that as a tape, not an album. But I actually bought this as an album. It wasn't the first music that I had. As I mentioned in the KISS episode, I inherited a lot of classic rock type stuff from, from my cousins. But um, this is the first album I bought. I don't remember why I was compelled to buy it. I, I heard, no doubt, had heard the the music from it on the radio. I listened to the radio as a kid, and I heard it. I liked it. I wanted Dude, to. Dude, that get album
2: it. cover though, man. Him that throwing the cover. getting the poised with the rock and the leather jacket. You were just like cool, right?
4: I, it was, you know, it was like all about like, you know, rebellion, man. That's yeah, right.
2: I, <laughs> Fuck my parents! I'm getting the hardest shit right yeah, here. Glass houses. I was going to
4: be the. <laughs> Fuck yeah, you, like, mom. <laughs> the, <laughs> toughest, the toughest kid in third grade or whatever I was in or <laughs> at the time. Anyway, uh, but, I, you know, look, I thought it was somewhat compelling to, to buy. I didn't, you, you know, look, kids don't have any money or didn't back then. So uh, I was like, I'm going to pull together some money and buy this. Um, I knew Billy Joel, right? Not only from this album, but again, just the way you are. And he was very popular, obviously, as we've been talking about back then. In retrospect, it's hard to remember what you were thinking about when you were a little kid, you know, and maybe ascribing too much insight that didn't really happen. But I, I kind of knew he was a bit of a douche back then. Like, I just remember seeing him on, on a TV special, you know, one of those you know TV shows that around on, like, on Saturday nights, like the Grey Whistle Test or whatever that crap was. Um, not that the bands on there were crap, but you know what I mean? Those, like, almost variety show-esque things um, I was amused by his mania, I think. I just remember him. And if you look at the videos for this album on YouTube, and we're going to talk about one in particular later, but um, it's just, he's just kind of manic. And I, I I liked it. I liked the songs mostly. There's a few exceptions that were hard to listen to then and still are, including his, his French one, which I think we'll touch on briefly, hopefully. Um, the style of it I liked. I didn't know at the time that he... Was you know copying the style from a lot of other artists. Um, most of the music I had been exposed to was harder rock at that point. You know certainly I'm um, ACDC, Pink Floyd a little bit. Although I really didn't become the monster Pink Floyd fan until later. Um, you know it was, a, it was a little heady for a kid, but I had heard pieces. You know I certainly heard the Wall when it came out and the you know we don't know need no education stuff. You know to a little rebellious troublesome boy. Was probably uh, nice and didn't help my you know reputation with my teachers and the parent te- teacher conferences and all that kind of stuff. But at any rate, that was the kind of stuff I was hearing. I liked it. I played it and I played it a lot. And I thought it was cool at the time. So uh, yeah, it, it was good. And it's interesting to revisit it and after a lot of years and talk about all the context in which it came out and what's happened before at the time and since. So. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the album history and the background of Billy Joel and, and the details here? So, uh,
2: the I'll talk about Billy Joel's background because I just listened to kind of the closest thing to, uh, you know, an audiobook, uh, the closest thing to a definitive biography that we have. You know, he never wrote an autobiography. He started one with this guy, Frank Schur, and he aborted it because he felt like they were going too into the kind of personal details of his life with all those marriages and you know, all this. So uh, Frank sure took those notes and, and put out this book, you know, it's okay. Uh, but I did learn a little bit about the background. So I'm going to do the background of Billy Joel leading up to glass houses and let you take over for glass houses itself. So Great. the first thing is uh, of course, you know, Billy Joel's background is really interesting. There's this documentary that was released in 2001, by made by a fan. Uh, called The Joel Files that goes into his family history. You know, his family is from, uh, I think, Austria or Germany. And they basically had this textile business, his grandfather, this textile business that was quite successful in the 30s. And during that time, you know, being a Jew... Uh, he wasn't allowed to run it. You know, they kept kind of putting these restrictions on him. You know, he had to put like a star on all his products to say it was Jewish. And then eventually he, you know, just all these regulations eventually led to some other guy, this Nazi party member taking over the business, basically stole the business from them. Um, And he was supposed to get, you know, was supposed to sell it and he was selling it for like a third of what it was worth to this guy, but the guy never paid him. And they ended up kind of reading the, the tea leaves and realizing that you know we need to get the hell out of here so they eventually went to the United States and uh I could go off on this whole thing about how crazy their journey was but you know let's just skip skip that but eventually they made it and you know they got some restitution after the war for for the business but you know the grandfather never really got everything back but they eventually made it to you know Long Island and very soon after that Billy Joel's father uh you know uh left the family. So it was just Billy and his mother. And, um, he grew up in, uh, Hicks. He was, I think he was born in Hicksville, Long Island, grew up in Levittown. I don't really know the geography of Long Island, but you know, that's basically the child that he had. Um, as a young man, he was a pretty good boxer. You know, he, he boxed in like, uh, I think 20 bouts and won them all. So kind of, you know, we can make fun of Billy Joel's, uh, you know, leather jacket shit, but he kind of walked the walk a little bit there. Um, so, and he start you know he his mother made him take piano lessons he was naturally talented his father was also a frustrated musician, so he had it in the genes. and uh he um you know he's a pretty damn good pianist you know he's he's definitely one of the he, he's i don't i wouldn't say he's like a virtuoso on the level of someone like keith Emerson in rock but he's or right there Man or whatever he but could he definitely. Guys- very right. talented, for sure. Yeah, he could definitely play. Um, he started in bands right after, as I mentioned, the Ed Sullivan Show, seeing the Ed Sullivan Show, which was uh, the cause of so many people starting bands. Um, he eventually wound up in a, in a local band called The Hassles, which I think is an awesome name for a 60s garage band, which is what they were. Uh, they made two records that didn't do shit. Um, he, you know, of course, he formed the aforementioned Attila um, with John Small. And this was a pretty volatile time for him because... John Small was married to this woman named Elizabeth Weber and Billy Joel and her started having an affair. And
1: Whoopsie. this
2: broke up his friendship with John Small and, it, you know, she broke up with him and he was really despondent and he tried to kill himself by drinking furniture polish. So, Not a um, good thing to do. Yeah, he's all, I thought this might taste good. It's kind of funny uh, and tragic at the same time. So, you know, he didn't succeed. Him and John Small eventually made up. Him and Elizabeth Weber got married. Um, shortly after that, she actually ended up becoming his, you know, a few years later, she ended up becoming his manager, which would cause a whole bunch of other problems. So there's a lot of uh, uh, kind of craziness in his life. And so around this time, he hooked up with this guy, Artie Rip, who was kind of this, you know, almost mafia-esque kind of manager. He wanted to get in the business. He made this singer-songwriter album called Cold Spring Harbor. The most notable track on there is She's Got Away. Um, the album was mixed incorrectly so his voice is super high on the album i think it's since been corrected if you listen to it on spotify you're not really going to hear that that much but um you know it was mixed really high so he, he was really frustrated with that even though she's got away is one of his more notable songs that you know and uh there's another song called i think everybody loves you uh i might get, be getting that wrong but there there were a couple songs that were kind of standouts, but the it's album like did the,
4: uh, the Billy Joel cover band that we heard about, uh, earlier they're playing, she's got away. So,
2: yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. so, so you know, he, um, uh, he did Cold Spring Harbor was very, uh, a failure. It was frustrating. Um, ended up moving to LA, getting a job in a piano bar. And, uh, that's what Piano Man is all about. So he came out with Piano Man a couple of years later. Um, and right before Piano Man came out, uh, that he did a live show on this, uh, Pennsylvania station called WWMMR And there was a live version of captain Jack that was recorded in studio. The radio station started playing that. And it was, as we mentioned in our Nirvana episode, you know, smells like teen spirit took off. Captain Jack was, uh, was the kind of smells like teen spirit for Billy Joel. You know, people started requesting it and, uh, even though I think it's more like, Elton John will get you high tonight. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, and there's, and, and, you know, the whole album of Piano Man, I mean, Piano Man is kind of like Mr. Bojangles. It's such a ripoff of that song. And there's a lot of uh, kind of country-esque stuff. Very influenced by John, uh, Elton John's Tumbleweed Connection album, uh, you know, and, and even Piano Man has a little bit of Harry Chapin in there too. Uh, I will go on record as saying, I think Piano Man is in my top bottom 10 for worst songs of all time. I can't stand it. I can't stand the vocal affectations, the lie to die to die, all that <laughs> shit. Um, but it was, it was a minor hit, like top 30 hit. Uh, and then, you know, he released a couple other albums uh, that were recorded. In, uh, one was recorded in LA, Street Life Serenade, didn't do anything. Uh, and then he recorded Turnstiles, which was kind of his best album to this point. You know, it had, it was very influenced by Born to Run. Um, it has a lot of that drama, you know, there's epic songs, uh, fan favorites like Miami 2017. And of course there's uh, what since has become a standard New York state of mine, which is a uh, kind of his influenced by one of his major influences, which is Ray Charles. He Even, you know, New York state of mine, Georgia on my mind, sound <laughs> familiar. So that album didn't do anything either. He hooked up with producer Phil Ramone. They made The Stranger, and there you go, boom! He's a he's a he's a star. You know, The Stranger was a huge success. Uh, he followed that up with Fifty Second Street, which was kind of more along the same lines. Um, you know, very Beatle-y influenced. You know, It's My Life uh, sounds like wings to me, and we'll probably play a clip of that later. Um, and. That album was even more successful and ended up you know, winning uh, him all the Grammys, like he won Album of the Year and Song of the Year and Male Artist of the Year, etc. Um, but he was still kind of known as a balladeer. Um, and that's where we come into Glass Houses. So why don't you take over for that bit?
4: Yeah, and as we heard in the intro clips, Billy was talking about how they were playing in bigger and bigger arenas and stadiums, maybe at that point, you know, and that those ballads weren't really cutting the mustard as it were. So, you know, they, Glass Houses was, as Slip was saying, the seventh studio album from Billy. It is the 41, 41st, rather, uh, best-selling album of the 1980s, according to Wikipedia, with sales of $7.1 million. Um, When this album came out, it was pretty much savaged by the kind of the cool uh, critics. Um, I don't. Not many liked it. One in particular, a uh, guy who published in Rolling Stone a few months after the album came out. This guy, Paul Nelson, um, probably has like the best you know bashes of it. If you're if you're searching around, uh, talking about how he comes off as a you know obnoxious frat boy who's like single singles bar deep in profundity. Uh, the the album being bland and a bad joke. Uh, his silly tough guy posturing, although maybe, uh, Paul Nelson was due a, you know, a left hook from, from, uh, Billy there, uh, from his boxing days, who knows.
2: Yeah. As, as Axl Rose would say, you know, get in the ring, motherfucker. Let's go.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Axel Rose. Oh, goodness. All right. Um, that's W Axl Rose to you. Yeah. That's yes. That's right. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Again, a lot of like questioning. He, basically, a lounge, a lounge lizard sort of posturing as a rock and roller with the leather jackets, trying to imitate, you know, real tough guy kind of, you know, singers and acts, you know, like The Clash or people with more rock and roll bona fides like a Bruce Springsteen or Neil Young or things like that. Um, you know, there's a lot of breakdown of his lyrics and them being silly. I'm not going to go into that quite yet. Uh, it seems a little much. But at the end, Uh, The the best line, I think, is the fact that he says, I'm going to quote this part from Paul. Matt. wonder if he still feels this way, if he's still with us. But he says, uh, Billy Joel writes smooth and cunning melodies and what many of his defenders say is true. His material is catchy. But then again, so is the flu, right? So there you go. Uh, Not a fan. Uh, Mr. Nelson is not a fan of Billy Joel. Other critics weren't quite as savage, but not many liked it. Billy, again, I think was trying to to justify and defend himself a lot um, when he was talking about the album, saying, you know, he didn't really try to copy anybody, he was inspired by people like Ray Charles, certainly, that he likes Elvis Costello, but he's not trying to copy them, which is kind of horseshit, as we'll, we'll get into. Um, you know, it's still rock and roll for me, is a, it, it, to me, is a little weird because he's sort of bashing all the new wave punk stuff that's more popular in the sense, or is more of a critical favorite, if not more sales or anything like that. But, but yeah, he's doing from, it at the but same time. he's doing time. it at the same time. Yeah, so it's, it's about, like, it's the
2: most meta song ever. It's about itself. It's exactly. so crazy.
4: It's fractal.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you
4: know, So anyway, he, you know, he goes on to do the typical, I'm going to bash disco thing. And he say, like, I got a headache when I go to, you know, a club, a disco club. And, you know, summing up, New Wave or Punk is some guy yelling at you and spitting on you. Um, which is, you know, interesting. Probably, I don't know what bands he saw at that point. Maybe Sex Pistols, but, you know, some of the really great Yeah, he didn't see area. any bands. He didn't, he didn't fucking go
2: see that. That's bull. That's a, that's a, I don't know, they spit on me all night. He, You know, he just read it in the news like everybody else. Exactly. Um, and you don't really hear a lot of Sex Pistols, but I tell you, he he was definitely listening to Elvis Costello, which I'll get into later a lot. Um, definitely. There's no doubt.
4: And so we have Glass Houses, and on Glass Houses, all the songs that, uh, you know, most people probably know, You you May Be Right, Don't Ask Me Why, Still Rock and Roll to Me. Some of the deeper cuts on the album range from kind of funny to really kind of painful. But in particular, I want to spend a few minutes talking about a video, a music video in particular, and you—the listeners out there—may be saying, "Well, Billy Joel music video, 1980. It doesn't quite line up or sound right. This is really before MTV, or maybe I forget. I think MTV launched a few years after that. No one had it at that point. But anyway, what are you talking about? Well, here on CFX, we're not really going to ask you guys to do a lot of homework." or put a lot of thought into anything other than listening to our dulcet tones uh, talk about music and movies and TV and other stuff. But I'm going to ask you to pause here. Go over to your YouTube and do a search for the video for Sometimes a Fantasy. And just do yourself a favor and watch it, and then come back and listen to this. So now you've watched it. And I want to kind of get into this a little bit because this could be one of the most disturbing videos I think I've ever seen in my life. It is completely ridiculous. And I want to walk you through it a little bit because I think it deserves some examination uh, 40 years later. So let me play some clips from it, some audio clips. Uh, Video starts off with the phone dialing and stuff. Now. And let's play a clip here for a second. Let you listen to it. I'm going to talk through it after it finishes. Here. Okay. So you might be familiar with the song. the The video really starts out. He's drunk dialing a phone. The camera does a close up of of Billy Joel's mouth, face, the whole thing. Not not good. Not good. Billy, not a handsome man. Um, and worse yet, he's not only a close-up of him, but he's doing some kind of acting thing where he's like fidgeting, he's acting nervous, beady-eyed, shifty eyes back and forth. He, that phone he's dialing, he calls this beautiful woman in a swanky apartment, and he starts the song. But you know the lyrics: "I didn't want to do it, but I got too lonely. I had to call you up in the middle of the night. Um, look." Perhaps more disturbing to me than, than Billy Joel's kind of nervous shifting about is is the fact that uh, and by the way thank goodness you can see both of his hands because it definitely <laughs> gives off like that Rudy Giuliani Borat just adjusting my shirt kind of vibe which uh, is not good it, the whole thing oh my goodness not good um, anyway so the video starts weirdly there's some bearded dude smoking a cigarette who's standing over Billy encouraging him to call this woman. And, you know, at first I was like, who's this dude? Is that Billy with a beard? Is it my best understanding of it? And maybe slip, you have a different view of this is I think it's like the devil on his shoulder, like oh. an alter ego, like a cool alter ego, encouraging him to. So it's um, not like,
2: Liberty DeVito then.
4: <laughs> it, I don't think, it, well, it could be Liberty DeVito, but yeah. I think in the, in the video, it's supposed to be sort of like the, you know, his cool alter ego, uh, pushing him to make an obscene phone call to to this woman.
2: Anyway, oh, this uh, is pretty conceptual. You know, that's pretty early is. for like, because a lot of the early videos were performance videos, and it's kind of, you know, he did he would become one of the biggest stars in MTV uh, in the '80s, and you know, he's kind of like Phil Collins that way, just the schlubby guy who's really talented, uh, but is not a typical rock star at all, and he's already doing these con- concept videos so early. You know, that's pretty that might be the most uh, original thing about this record,
4: <laughs> you know? That video. Uh,
2: yeah, because it's certainly yeah. not the music. I mean, you listen to that; those vocals too. I mean, I guess he does kind of prefigure... Day- he sounds like a male Dale Basio of missing persons with those kind of... <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 you know, those quirky yeah. new wave vocals. He's just new waving the shit out of him. He's like Rick Ocaseking the shit out of this <laughs> stuff. You know, it's so fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, I'll let you continue.
4: <laughs> <laughs> the the set for this is ridiculous too the camera pulls back from Billy's face thank goodness and you're in like this, some junkie lair New York hotel seedy hotel room that uh, I don't know when I saw it I like oh that's what Charles Bukowski's you know crash pad looks like you know something like that right and it, it, it's just amazing anyway the the song goes on here I'm going to play another clip
0: Oh, it's all try to make- of oh, what I really need is a new relation. Oh, it was only my imagination. It's just a fantasy. Oh, it's not the real thing. Oh. It's just a fantasy. Oh, it's
2: not the real thing. Hold up. Right. We gotta hold up. We gotta talk about that, those OOs. Yeah. You know, how, how fucking annoying. Like listening to this album just the new wave posturing I mentioned before uh, is kind of the most excruciating thing about it to me and that, Oh, it's like, (laughs) ah, and, and, you know, I will give him this. I mean, these are like viruses, these songs I've had this song stuck in my head for fucking days. You know, and this was not even a big hit from the album. It was like, like I said, the fourth single and it was, you know, kind of an also, I, I don't even know if it made the top 30, you know, it was probably a top 40 hit, but
4: well, well, what about so? Let's talk before we talk about the O's. Let's talk about the heavy breathing. Oh yeah, I, the the close the, the sound of that in the video and the close up on his mouth doing that. I honestly just wanted to call some kind of like rape cross crisis hotline. You know, it was, it was it was really really disturbing. The woman who answers the phone, uh, you know, is you know this beautiful woman. She's walking around in some fancy penthouse uptown girl apartment um she doesn't seem to be that perturbed by having billy joel's heavy breathing, you know, invading her apartment. And it is I don't even know what to think about it other than it's it's just uh well, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. What, while this clip is happening right in the video as you hopefully saw, he's having some kind of psychotic break. He's mimicking all sorts of, you know, emotive gestures to let us know something is not right in his head. Uh he, it looks like he clearly took kind of like a what a stellar adler acting workshop like the day before this video was shot where it's like act crazy act happy act sad.
2: <laughs> Well I mean he's he's he's, all he's achieving here. he's achieving what he wants to man he's it's so fucking edgy man <laughs> that's the, that's the thing he's trying to be edgy he's trying to uh you know uh I get, uh, yeah it, this is Billy Joel we're talking about you know it's just the way you are and and then and then you get this uh pervert
4: you know this phone got, sex kind of
2: thing or whatever it is
4: phone sex uh, pervert billy joe yeah. he, he's doing like all his like uh, acting exercises the only thing he doesn't do is kind of pointing at his head with the crazy face doing the i'm a loony gesture but i'm certain that he pulled that one on take 1 and the director was just like yeah hey bill why don't you why don't you knock that one off um but anyway his uh his heavy breathing and pleading to the pretty Woman in the apartment on the other end of the phone doesn't seem to be working, so he sort of, uh, you know, looks to his bearded uh alter ego for help, and then that's where we get into the next part of the song. It goes like this: when am
0: I gonna take control? Get a hold of my emotions. Why does it only seem to be in the middle of the night? <laughs> okay, oh, oh, there's a number I can always dial for assistance. Assistance.
4: <laughs> he doesn't want to deal with outside action. All right. You get the idea. He continues to kind of scream and pant into the phone. Um, you know, the woman on the other end is kind of pacing around doing her acting thing. I mean, clearly, this woman is somebody he met probably at the actor studio the day before, right? And uh, He's like, oh wow, she's pretty. Hey, you want to make a movie? Hey, <laughs> she d- did not look like she was really on the A list of actors that were happening around that time in in New York, probably. So, uh, but she seems to be in in entranced by this uh, phone call, right? Uh, enthralled even at this point. And Billy Joel again, close ups of him, shifty eyed, nervously m- moving his hands around. Again, if you want to imagine, not, not that you should, what the other end of those webcam girl porno things are, it's this. It's Billy Joel. You know, it, it's exactly what he is acting out here. Um, you know, so he's trying to pitch this woman on his uh, needs here, as it were, and not going well. The woman doesn't seem to be uh, convinced. So he hands it over to the bearded guy. Hands the phone to him. The bearded guy kind of just like looks at him and, you know, says, I'll take it from here, Bill. And we get to this clip.
0: So <laughs> 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 sure, there's many times you wanted be to hear.
4: All right. So, what do you think about the bop, bop, bop kind of thing? I, not good, right?
2: I, 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 you know, the new wave uh, the affectation of the vocals. You know, even though the song is catchy and whatnot, I, it's like nails on a fucking chalkboard to me. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, he just goes out of his way to, to really sound fucking new wave, I mean, give you know, you can diss Linda Ronstadt all you want, but she just sounds like fucking Linda Ronstadt. The music on Mad Love is kind of, you know, it's it's like Linda Benatar or whatever. She's trying to be trendy, but her voice, she doesn't do anything with her fucking voice. She just sounds like fucking Linda Ronstadt, you know, from the the same way she always sounded, right? You know, whereas with him, he's doing a a, a fucking impersonation of something, and uh, it's you know he's changing his voice to sound more new wave and to quirk things up uh, to the point of pain.
4: It's kind of like uh, Elvis Costello crossed with the big bopper to me.
2: Yeah. It, it's bizarre. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's bizarre. got, it's got that fifties, like crazy little thing called love, you know, was a huge yeah, hit and,
3: exactly. and,
2: and uh, Freddie Mercury was kind of doing the same thing. John Lennon did the same thing on starting over, right? He's got that, Oh, 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 oh that kind of Elvis-y, Elvis, yeah. you know, a- affectations, but yeah, it's equal parts. Elvis Presley, Elvis Costello, and you know Dale Bosio wasn't around yet, but he definitely sounds like uh, uh, almost almost to that extent. You know, she's like the most exaggerated, ridiculous new wave vocalist in in history, in my opinion. And he's butting right up against that on this.
4: Yeah, he's he's walking in New York, right? All right, <laughs> all right. Last clip here. This- right, you get the idea. We get the synth breaks. We get the chorus repeating. What happens in the video is the woman now has been won over by whatever the bearded dude said to her. Um, As the song plays out, we kind of get the Ne Ultra of 1980s video editing of the rapid cuts back and forth uh, with their legs and their crotches and their legs and their crotches and their faces. And we get it. We get what they're trying to say here. They're boning. the weird thing is, is as their, their video cut uh, sex is happening, the bearded guy with the cigarette is just standing there smiling in a, the creepiest thing I've ever seen. And it kind of just reminds me of like some movie or something where, you know, some gross, creepy uncle comes back to like 1950s uh, suburbia for being overseas or in the military or something and taking his awkward 17-year-old nephew to a local downtown prostitute to uh, make a man of him or something. It's really just kind of disturbing all around. And at the end of the video, of course, the phone's ringing after the little video sex wraps up and the phone is ringing and no pretty woman answers. And, you know, hey, guess what? It was just a fantasy. Uh, Billy didn't really connect with anybody with with his uh, urgent action needs or whatever the lyrics are. So anyway pretty, as you said, an amazing concept video for the time. Um, they probably hired the porno crew that was filming in the motel room next door to shoot it. That looked about the, you know, the acting was about that quality. But do yourself a favor as just a cultural artifact byproduct of the this era that we're talking about. Go and watch that and get a few yucks out of it. So... Anyway, Slip, I will turn it over to you to cool. talk about your evaluation here.
2: All right. So my evaluation, huge short here. Uh, and, and I'm going to distinguish a little bit between Billy Joel's legacy and glass houses because we're talking about glass houses. And I think I'm short glass houses, but maybe neutral along on Billy Joel as a whole. You know, the Billy Joel legacy thing has already been decided. I mean, this guy's been selling out Madison Square Garden every time. You know, he's his, his uh, millennials love him, you know, as we'll talk about. Um, his songs, uh, you know, are still all over the radio, whatever radio is now, I guess. Um, you know, he's, he's got a legacy there. Um, but my beef with him is this whole thing. Uh, I'm going to argue both for and against this whole idea of Billy Joel as a kind of mimic. Um, because he really doesn't have his own sound uh, at all. I mean, you kind of know a Billy Joel song, but you're also listening to him imitate some other style of music. He's very similar to Weird Al in that way. And interestingly enough, he's almost like a serious version of Weird Al. Yeah. Um, you know, Weird Al has his parodies, which everybody knows, but the the fans of Weird Al, like me, you know, who listen to his whole albums. Uh, he does these other songs that are even more amazing that are what what he what people in you know in the Weird Al fan base call style parodies right so he'll do he has a song like on Weird Al in 3D for instance and he's got Eat It which is the big hit but he's also got this song called Mr. Popiel, which is this uh song about you know the Mr. Popiel, inform you know the Ron Popiel infomercials Ron Cale, yeah, yeah. right but it's done in the style of the B-52s and it is so good, it could be a B-52 song, right? Another one example is Devo, Dare to be Stupid, right? De- when Mark Mothersbaugh heard Dare to be Stupid, he was like, this is as good as us. Like, it doesn't yeah. even sound like a parody, it's just in that style. And he even does obscure stuff like Sparks, and he does a... um frank zappa parody that's incredible he does steely dan parodies you know they're they're really good and they're well executed and he's got so much talent and i would argue this is kind of billy joel's whole career is doing shit like this right he's really good mimic um and there is a talent to that there's something to be said for that right and even even though he is kind of copying these styles especially on an you know something like an innocent man where he's just doing you know uptown girl is a is it is could be a Frankie Valli song. It's arguably maybe better than the than the stuff the Four Seasons did themselves. You know, it's it's that accurate of a of a parody. Um or or a or a, I guess an homage because it's not really parodying, it's more celebrating it. Yeah. So I would argue Glass Houses is, is is that to a T, but I'm also going to argue that I don't think much of Glass Houses is contributes that much to that legacy of Billy Joel. So uh, obviously, you know, we talked about this mimicry, so how, what are some examples of that? Obviously, I mentioned Captain Jack kind of being like Elton John, uh, Piano Man, Mr. Bojangles, Harry Chapin, um, you know, later on, he, he, you know, Billy Joel even said when the Beatles broke up, one thing he wanted to do was make more Beatles-y music because he loved them and he missed them, and so he would, he, you know, he would pay homage to the Beatles. I mean, there are so many Beatles-like songs. I mentioned Laura. Uh, from The Nylon Curtain. And another one, uh, you know, obviously is My Life, right? Uh, you can speak your mind. I mean, that is Wings. That is yeah. a Wings fucking song. You know, it's a, it's completely Paul McCartney. But what's funny is not only can Billy Jill do style homages in Incredibly accurate ways, but he's actually kind of a comedian and impersonator. He does these lectures and stuff. Uh, You know, he's been doing these lectures for years to people about music, and it's kind of one of the cooler things he's done. Um, and uh, so I want to play a few clips of of that. So he he does, for instance, he uh, let's play the Jackson Brown impersonation. This is crazy. I'm running
0: uh, down the road trying to loosen my load, got seven women on my mind.
2: That's great. It's incredible. He sounds just fucking like Jackson Brown, right? He does. He does. Okay, let's play. uh, This is from Jimmy Kimmel. Let's play the Bruce Springsteen clip. This isn't as accurate, but you get the idea. Let me a few
0: bucks.
1: (laughs) B flat. Can you give me a ride? C major seven. I got a meeting with the G major on the other side.
2: So that's him doing an impersonation of Bruce Springsteen's great song from Born to Run, Meeting Across the River, which he says is his favorite Bruce Springsteen song. And he's yelling out the chords to, to Paul Schaefer, who doesn't know the song, uh, yeah. while he's doing it. That's pretty awesome. Uh, and then, of course, even more surreal is, as I mentioned, you know, Billy Joel's idol, his main idol besides the Beatles, is Ray Charles. and. Uh, he eventually on his album, The Bridge, got a chance to duet with his idol on this song called Baby Grand. And what's crazy about this song is, it's a tr- it's written for Ray Charles and they're dueting together, but at the same time that he's singing with Ray Charles he's fucking trying to sound like Ray Charles. So this must have been a real surreal experience for Ray Charles to have this duet with Billy you know, obviously you like Billy Joel, actually Ray Charles inducted him into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame later you know, um, so they're obviously buddies, but play a little bit of this, this is so weird at night, when it's dark and
0: cold
2: So that's Billy Joel. That's not Ray Charles, but it sounds like fucking Ray Charles. So it's really kind of surreal that he did that. Um, obviously I mentioned An Innocent Man, you know, it's doing the early sixties better than the early sixties did in a way. I mean, The Longest Time, you know, uh, is a, is a classic kind of doo-wop song and it's, you know, it was a major hit and it sounds just like the period, you know, Tell Her About It sounds like the, the, a male version of The Supremes, uh, you know, and even the most uncanny thing of Town Girl is, a perfect Frankie Valley tribute. Um, so it's very strange that, you know, it, it, that's his biggest album by far. It had the most singles. It sold the most copies. It was a massive success. Um, made him an MTV superstar. Um, and it sounds exactly like uh, the early 60s. It's just, a, a, it's every single song is like a different uh, copy of a different artist. You know, sometimes there's a mixture of things. But in general, you can kind of tell what he's doing when he's when he's singing these songs. Um, and then, of course, you know his biggest hit of all time, and the song that's kind of lasted the longest is probably my least favorite Billy Joel song besides Piano Man, which is "We Didn't Start the Fire." What about and, Second Wind, though? Oh God, oh God, that's the worst. That's worse than Piano Man. That's the worst. Even though it's you know a good cause, you know it's an anti-suicide song, and he had personal experience. It's so dated. It's it's excruciating to listen to. That's nails on a chalkboard. Um, but uh, we didn't start the fires up there too. And it's funny because in the biography, Frank Schurer's biography, he talks about the song. Not one mention of REM. You know, REM had just come out with "It's the End of the World as We Know It." we know that Billy Joel copied that fucking song. It's the same thing. There's yeah. no, there's no difference. Obviously the melody is different, but the whole idea of shouting out all these cultural references that was completely done by REM. So REM started the fucking fire. You know, he totally <laughs> ripped that shit off. Um, in, in other words, um, you know, he, he has a history of, of mimicry and of course glass houses is a, a perfect example of this, you know, as we, as we played that clips from uh, sometimes a fantasy, you know, he's trying to sing like a new wave guy. Uh, he doesn't sound remotely like the Billy Joel of 52nd street, maybe a little bit of big shot. Cause that's kind of a more of a rockin' combination between, you know, Benny and the jets, you know, with that kind of slamming piano. And, you know, the beastie boys would later cover that as a punk song. They would play it live and play it faster and it's got kind of snotty lyrics, like uh, you know some of the stuff on Glass Houses. Um, yeah. And it's, but but the funny thing is, Glass Houses is uh, the one to talk about here, though, because that is the one that I think most people still kind of look back on as his crowning achievement. Even though I don't think it is, I think The Stranger is his best album. It's still The Stranger, I think, is also still his biggest seller. It might be his biggest seller, either that or Innocent Man. I get those mixed up, but The Stranger is a huge you know sold copies over the years and it's uh, you know it's got i think his best best songs on it overall um and but glass houses is you know a lot of millennials talk about it like chuck klosterman wrote this essay on it uh you know talking about how great it was and um you know you mentioned it was it was the album you bought and i think a lot of people bought it at that time and klosterman's kind of a gen xer he's more our age um, but there are also. I think also, he's a year uh,
4: younger than me. So, yeah, uh, yeah,
2: there there are articles in Vice by uh, even younger writers who talk about their love of Billy Joel. Um, and the other thing is, this album was a response to the critics. I mean, the whole glass houses concept, right? People who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. This this is his in your face message to critics, right? Because that was. This was the response. He heard all this other music that was critically acclaimed, like Elvis Costello, and he thought, I can fucking do that. And he fucking can, right? I mean, it sounds like that kind of music. Um, but I don't think this album is that critical to his legacy. I think, you know, it's got some of his bigger hits, but I don't think a lot of I think only a few songs will really resonate over time. I mean, Billy Joel is really a greatest hits artist. You know, he often has frustrations because he'll try to pull out you know, he has a song called Zanzibar that's a complete Steely Dan Royal Scam era clone. Yeah, it's you know, signed ex- in
4: Stranger. That, that yeah, stuff it's, up, it's yeah.
2: basically signed in Stranger. Even the yeah. Stranger is Steely Dan-esque, and he is makes no bones about his love for Steely Dan. And yeah, he, he pretty much nails it on, on Zanzibar. Zanzibar, yeah, yeah he nails yeah. it. Um and he'll play something like Zanzibar and the crowds at Madison Square Garden will kind of go to the bathroom, you know? he's It's the same thing Elton John experiences, right? Elton John has this mean, huge you body of work. out of, of
4: excitement work. or out of necessity?
2: Uh, out of, nece- you know, out okay. of like, I don't Chorda. know this song, Got it. right? Got Time it. to take a bathroom or a beer break. Got it. Um, okay, just checking. And so so he, uh, you know, Elton John is the same thing. He plays, he has so many hits. People want to hear the hits. You know, these people are middle of the road. Billy Joel's biggest selling album by far which I didn't mention—that actually is one of the biggest-selling albums of all time—is Greatest Hits, Volume One and Two. And I don't think it's because of Second Wind; <laughs> it's because of all the hits on there. And and that's the biggest seller. He's a hit guy. I have and that, he did-
4: by the way. Yeah, oh, of yeah. course. Yeah.
2: You know, that's the one to own, right? That's got all the hits. So I think that's that's his legacy is the hits. And obviously, Glass Houses has some of those hits, but I'm going to argue that those aren't really the Billy Joel songs that we, um, you know, should be, should be looking at for a a kind of legacy. And, and, you know, he's written New York state of mind. This is a standard now, even though I think it's derivative of Ray Charles and it's, you know, we could argue it's merits. It's, it's become a standard, you know, as soon as people like Barbara Streisand who covered the song in the, actually the late seventies and Tony Bennett has done it many times, you know, it's just one of those songs. Um, so glass houses. Let's go into glass houses—the good and the bad. Um, let's let's uh, play the clip from the the first single, one of the ones everyone knows. You may be right. You may be
0: right. I may be crazy, oh! but it just may be a lunatic you're looking for.
2: Yeah, I think I think this song is mostly sung in the style of Billy Joel. Of course, that lunatic is ridiculous. <laughs> um, it's kind of another uh, new wave ism. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty ridiculous, but I think this song holds up pretty well. It, you know, he mostly sounds like himself. It's catchy. Um, you know, very influenced by Elvis Costello, but maybe not as much as some of the other deeper cuts. Um, it's probably one of the songs that I think people know Billy Joel from. Uh you know, and we talked about Sometimes a Fantasy at length. That was another single that I don't think has aged well at all.
1: I do like some though. of the
2: keyboards in it. I love, I've come to love early 80s keyboards. I used to hate 80s production and 80s keyboards, but I've come to really dig them. And I like some of the keyboard stuff on that song. There's a kind of a pro, almost progressive rock break in the middle uh, that we didn't play, but that's, I kind of enjoy that, but it's, you know let's face it 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 pretty much sucks uh okay next we're gonna go to his uh very paul mccartney very paul simon hit probably my favorite song on the record um don't ask me why let's play a little bit of that
0: oh every dog must have his every day every drunk must have his drink
2: yeah i like those lyrics too and they're kind of uh you know, foreshadowing because Billy Joel, like myself, <laughs> has had a problem with alcohol, um, been in rehab several times, um, and uh, you know, I I I like the lyrics, I like the song, I think it's very catchy. It's obviously very derivative, but you know, it it's it's uh, kind of irresistible to me. I you know, part of me looks back and thinks, am I really being fair to Billy Joel? You know, when I hear a song like this, as I'm criticizing his kind of mimicry. But at the same time, I love ELO. You know, I love Cheap Trick. I love Badfinger. I love any kind of power pop that sounds like the Beatles. So why is it fair of me to like those things and not recognize the same thing in Billy Joel? Do you think it's
4: because those other groups were sort of like winking a little bit more towards the Beatles and to Paul Simon and to these other clear influences and Billy Joel's maybe- I don't know.
2: I think Cheap Trick is pretty just like playing their music and they obviously acknowledge the Beatles. Um, you know I don't know I I think uh you know Billy Joel has made no bones about his love for the Beatles and his uh, his desire to make more music like them so I think it's similar I think they just love the Beatles well,
4: um, who doesn't? and I, I mean yeah I yeah. do too you do too yeah. right
2: so yeah okay so obviously the biggest hit from this and this was big Billy Joel's first number one single is it's still rock and roll to me this is what we started out with with Weird Al let's play that
0: That your ties too wide Maybe I should buy some old tab collars. Welcome back to the age of jive. Where have you been hiding out lately, honey? You can't dress trash until you spend a lot of money. Everybody's talking about the new sound funny, but it's still rocking
2: old to me. Yeah, so that's the biggest hit. You know, I fucking hate this song. I I it's catchy as hell. It gets stuck in your head, but it's such bullshit. I mean, it is interesting how meta it is, because it's kind of about itself. Yeah. But just the phony kind of, you know, Elvis Costello slash Presley rockabilly vocals. Um, you know, the snottiness that just yeah. it, it just doesn't age well to me. I don't think it's uh
4: he puts the, um, his actor studio lessons to work in the video too, as he's mimicking all the lyrics, you know, like the can't dress trashy unless you spend a lot of money and oh yeah, all that kind of stuff as well, which is pretty amusing. Yeah. I, I don't have much to
2: say about this because I think weird Al kind of said everything that needs to be said. Um, but again, I don't think this is, is, is aging well to me. Um, Good, of course. There's all for. There's some album tracks like "All for Lena," which is kind of more of an AOR track. I'm not going to play a clip of that because I just don't want to listen to it again. I, I there's something about the chorus with the drama. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I like some of the crazy. Again, it's got crazy synths in there, but I just don't like it. You know, it's it's this melodramatic, over the top uh, song. It's maybe not as new wave because it's more AOR. It's more like Foreigner or something. Um, but again, it doesn't sound like Billy Joel. Uh well, again, we're what is Billy Joel? Like there there is no Billy Joel sound. Each sounds like other people. Um but then in some of the deeper cuts, he gets really Elvis Costello. This whole quote, you know, that you uh played earlier, uh or uh, that you mentioned uh about him liking Elvis Costello but not wanting to sound like him. Let's listen to how little he sounds like Elvis Costello on this song, I Don't Wanna Be Alone. Okay. Here we go.
0: Oh, it's so fun. Oh, wait.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right. Yeah. All right. Look,
3: I understand that you were
0: not impressed. Okay.
3: Let's play the real thing.
0: She said she'd meet me in the bar at the Plaza Hotel, wear a jacket and a tie. (laughs) <laughs> What's the occasion she just smile and she wouldn't say why mm, So here I am standing waiting in the lobby Sweating bullets in a stupid old suit And when she sees me she busts out laughing You're a sad side honey but you look so cute And I don't want to be alone No,
2: be, yeah. you get the idea i mean come on <laughs> even if you're know, down gonna
0: get right. to like right yeah,
2: yeah yeah you get the idea and it's like he's even down to trying to fit as many words into the verses as possible that's a very elvis costello thing to do it's the quirky stuff the kind of rhythmic stuff i mean it sounds like kind of you don't i don't want to go to chelsea from this year's model or you know, any number of songs from, uh, from armed forces, it's, it's pretty much Elvis clone Stello all the way, you know, and percent um, agree. Yeah. It, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's really ridiculous. It, it you know, uh, let's play a little bit of close to the borderline. This is another one that's kind of
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's 100% this year's model. Actually, maybe it's a one part this year's model, two parts Look Sharp from Joe Jackson, who's got his own issues with it being influenced by Elvis Costello. It kind of reminds me of the song Instant Mash um, on. Uh, oh, totally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's that. got that yeah, yeah. same beat. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, it's it's just to me, this album, it's such a copy of these guys. It's amazing how well he does it. Like I don't want to be alone anymore. I actually like it's 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 really catchy, you know. And and it sounds like it could have like been an flu, outtake from right? one of those records. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it gets in your head, you know. It's it's melodically, he he he's it's an amazing ability. And Weird Al has it too, you know. They can they can l- listen to this style and just copy it almost exactly to where you're like, is this Elvis Costello or Billy? I mean, it still sounds a little like Billy Joel in parts, maybe on the chorus, but the verses are crazy elvis costello um you know and then the rest of the album you've got that fucking terrible french song that's like it's like michelle by the beatles but yeah that's not good yeah and then and then you've got sleeping with television on which isn't bad that's another kind of new wave thing uh you know and but again i don't think any of these songs really stand the test of time because they're forever for me at least there's no timelessness to them. Like, I think just the way you are, yeah, it's got the 70s production, but it's a little timeless to me. Uh, some of these other songs have kind of um, a timelessness to them. They stand as good songs. Don't ask me why I could have been on any one of the albums. But these new wave ones are just such a response to the times that they seem dated to me. Uh, that said, you know, growing up and, you know, even now, I love the Rolling Stones album, Some Girls. So why disco. am I saying this about, about Billy Joel and not some? Some girls, was a complete response to disco and new wave, and it's it should be as dated. But for some reason, the quality of the songs just stands out to me. Um, you know, the Stones did this as bad as Billy Joel. I mean, they were trend hoppers throughout their career. I mean, listen to like even an album like Sticky Fingers, which most people recognize as maybe their greatest achievement. It's got Can't Hear Me Knockin'. That is a complete Santana ripoff. You know, it's not even, it's just bold faced, you know, and the Stones did that throughout their career. So it's kind of weird to say this about Billy Joel and not the Stones. Um, I guess it just comes down to personal taste, but it's made me kind of view some girls with more skepticism
4: than I do. I like than sticky I did. fingers mostly because you were on the cover. Is that you? <laughs> no. I'll you. No. Okay.
2: So anyway, uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, I like. Some of Billy Joel's kind of homages, his his um, his style parodies, as it were. Um, I think overall the the songs are really catchy, and even on this album, there's you know it's fairly consistent. There, I think only that French one is absolutely excruciating, and yeah, sometimes a fantasy I kind of hate too. But some of the other songs I can listen to. But again, it to me it's so much of a clone that it's just dated to me, and that's why I'm going short. So that's essentially my whole deal here. So okay, I'll, I'll hand it over to you.
4: All right. Well, look, a lot of the critics, as we've heard, and, and maybe the critics on this show, too, uh, really don't like Village all that much. And really, I think almost, I could say, are a little, uh, you know, his popularity is kind of beyond them. They don't get it. Maybe they begrudge it a little bit. I'm not for a second going to defend any of his mimicry and and uh, his pretensions on the uh, his street punk uh, pretensions as we heard on uh, the opening clip. Um, I think those are ridiculous. They haven't aged well. Forty years later, maybe have aged even worse. Um, I think when we touched on it a little bit about his chameleon, you know, Zelig-like nature and, and imitation, and when you do that and you're not doing it for parody or comic effect like a Weird owl. obviously, I think people are a little skeptical. It's like, well, who are you? Are you like a real, genuine artist? Or are you just copying whatever comes along? And I think it's even worse for somebody like Billy Joel, who's a really talented musician and singer and, and songwriter. Hon- honestly, he really is. But to be putting those skills to something where he's copying an Elvis Costello or copying a Beatles or, or Paul McCartney or copying this or that... I think people are just kind of like look sideways at that a little bit and just go, you know, what are you? You're not a real, true, deep artist if all you're doing is copying this. So, um, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to defend it, but I will point out kind of back what we were talking about at the beginning, which is I think those albums and artists that he was hearing right before this album was probably written and recorded were hugely influential and were changing music. You know all those bands, you know the, the Clash and the Police, and you know all those just incredibly great bands and albums that had come out the year before, and and even the ones that weren't necessarily new wave or punk that were more in the classic rock era, like ACDC Highway to Hell or, you know, Pink Floyd or or even maybe like Dire Straits Communique, which is which is a you know amazing album too. I think all these things sort of maybe were putting a fear into Billy a little bit, like. Is his career over? Is he going to play these big arenas and still be, you know, doing his piano man, you know, Mr. Bojangles thing? So I think he was maybe feeling the heat a little bit, even if it wasn't conscious, subconsciously, to try to, you know, cop a little of this sound. Again, not defending it, but just explaining it a little bit. If you look at this album for what it isn't, you know, I look genuine, uh, new wave or punk. having like street cred or, you know, we're making fun of that. And some of the other clips you heard, we're making fun of that. It's easy to pan. And obviously a lot of the critics did. A lot of people like the album and still do. And there's people who have an emotional place for it, like uh, Chuck Klosterman or even me, I guess, to some degree. Um, But I do think that over time, people will look back, maybe accepting the sometimes a fantasy video, which I think is going to be shown in maybe training videos of some sort for Bad purposes. Um, besides that, it's really easy to bash. The it's really easy to bash this, but I but I do think that people are going to look back and not necessarily think about the the uh, again chameleon sort of copying of these other sounds. They're not necessarily going to look at all of the context. They're going to fondly remember these other albums that I mentioned, but they're not necessarily going to put together the timeline and say, well. Billy Joel heard Armed Forces three months before he wrote this, and he's ripping off half the songs on that. People aren't going to do that math, and even if they could, most people don't. And I think that, you know, look, Billy Joel's a really easy target to bash, and we just spent an hour and a half doing it to some degree. But And I'm not going to argue with a lot of those criticisms, but I do think this album has a wide enough appeal to to merit long-term investment. Not huge, but but more than shorting it. So I, I'll go slightly long on it, and even putting aside my personal sort of fond memories of listening to it as a as a kid as one of my first entrees into the the rock world as it were, I do think it uh merits a, a little bit of long-term consideration. So that's where I'm coming down on this.
2: Yeah. I mean, and there's also the whole thing of how many fucking people have heard Armed Forces. I mean, it was Elvis Costello's, I think it's his only top ten album he ever did. You know, it was kind of a a popular record, but um how many people have actually heard that shit really compared to the, and especially how much crossover between Billy Joel fandom and Elvis Costello fandom is there. Um, If anything, you know, this album could introduce people to that stuff, you know, because it sounds like it. And, you know, and people still love the songs, like to your point, you know, it's still rock and roll to me. I think it's dated, but it doesn't matter if he plays that people, people go nuts, you know, and people still listen to this record. You know, it's, it's the one record I think that, you know, especially new generations of people have glommed onto more than the other stuff. You know, I think the old generation of people are are more Billy Joel fans are more into the greatest hits. But I think uh, you know the younger generation are maybe getting into some of these deep cuts. If you look on YouTube and you know you you go with sleeping with the sleeping with television on, you know people are just like legitimately going, "Hey, this is great! You know this song yeah. is awesome. How how come more people don't know this? You know." So I think to your point, people are listening to Glass Houses. And they're liking it still.
4: Well, I also think that, you know, some of, some people know that critics bashed it and they like it and they're sort of unapologetically saying, oh, yeah, well, F you critics. I'm going to like this album. It's kind of hip to be square, kind of whatever reaction to it. Um, I think that's part of it, too. You know, people maybe even like it ironically. To your point about being meta, maybe it's meta, wrapped in meta, you know, in a meta box. Yeah. <laughs>
2: It's true. I think, I, but I think. Look, Billy Joel was trying to prove he could rock. He already fucking did that. It's on an album called Attila. If you want to hear Billy Joel <laughs> fucking rock the shit out, you want to hear some fucking amplifier fire. You want to hear? I mean, dude, I just beg him again. Get together w- with John Small. You know, just for one song, play Wonder Woman, uh, and blow the fucking lid off of Madison Square Garden with that shit,
0: dude.
2: Yeah.
4: <laughs> all right on that note we'll let wonder woman play us out all right Thank you so much for listening to episode three of cfx we'll catch you next time follow us subscribe send us messages all that stuff it's all in the links we'll get back to you when we can on all of it and we look forward to catching you next time
2: all right don't go changing